please stand with me in the reading of God's word. Today's reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 12, verses 1 through 24. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, after the Passover, to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance amongst the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Ty and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is God's word. morning. <laughs> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, 
What a privilege to come before your presence, to worship you, uh, to listen to your word, to sing songs to you, Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, I ask you that, you that you speak through today, Lord Jesus, that it is not me, but that it is you that ministers to your people, Lord God, as you have ministered to me. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we continue our study in the book of Acts. Uh, we've been moving through the narrative, and we've learned that the gospel continues to, to advance, and that it has moved from Jerusalem, where everything began, uh, to Judea and Samaria and, be, and beyond. Uh, people are being saved. The Holy Spirit, it's being poured out on the, on the church uh, in the first First to the Jews, to the Christian Jews, and, and last week we learned that uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. But this movement, this advance of the gospel has not been without its challenges. There have been many obstacles at every turn, and, that, and, and some of them have had the potential to derail this train. Every morning as I Go from, from Natick to Framingham to work. Um, I have to go come across the commuter rail uh, tracks in Framingham. Uh, sometimes I have to stop and wait for the train to go by, and I feel it, its speed and its power as it flies by. The gospel is like, uh, like this commuter rail that travels from town to town, city to city, and beyond, redeeming and doing the work of God, uh, redeeming individuals and entire communities. But what happens when a train, when, when a car decides, gets stuck in the track, okay? What happens when somebody gets tired of hearing the horn and decides to obstruct the path, the train's path? There is destruction, there is calamity for those in, in that car. As we, read, as we read the book of Acts, um, we notice that the church encounters many challenges, many situations, and people uh, who could potentially derail this train. We read about persecution by the religious establishment, uh, hypocrisy within the church, internal strifes in Acts 6, martyrdom, Acts 7, and this martyrdom led to an even greater persecution. But none of, those, none of these difficulties we have encountered so far can approach the danger that we encounter here in uh, Acts 12, verses 1 to 24. It is like a, a barricade, like a, a school bus was placed right on the tracks to impede the progress of the train, to hinder uh, the advance of the gospel. Here, the church faces the strongest and most powerful opposition, uh, the, the most vicious challenge up to this point. We come to verses 1 through 5, uh, where we encounter a greater, more powerful opposition to the gospel. About that time, Herod the Great laid hands on some who belonged to the church. 
He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now Luke is referring here to the um, last few verses in chapter 11, chapter, uh, verses 27 through 30, where Barnabas and Saul are sent to the church in Judea. They are currently in Antioch. And, a, a, and God speaks to his church and tells them that there is a famine. So God is acting on behalf of his church. Meanwhile, Herod is opposing that uh, it's doing exactly what, the opposite of God. While God is trying to bring life to his church, he's trying to kill his church um, in Jerusalem. Uh, as we read the Bible, we have, seen many, uh, we have seen many members of the Herodian dynasty. Um, it was a tyrannical dynasty. Uh, we, hear for, we read, for example, about Herod the Great in, in, chapter, in Matthew chapter, chapter 2 and the story of, um, of the Magi that came looking for the king that was to, to be born. We hear there, we read there that he slaughtered the infants in Bethlehem trying to kill that king. Uh, he was a heartless king and most, as, as were most of the rulers at that time. Uh, another member of the family um, of the Herodians, it's Herod the Tetrarch, or Herod Antipas, um, who beheaded John the Baptist, and who actually uh, participated in the trial of Jesus, and his trial and, and crucifixion. So the Herods in our, in our, in our passage is Herod Agrippa I. He actually uh, had another son. Uh, he had a son who ruled Herod Agrippa II. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. And, you know, as we grow up, our, our grandparents sometimes, you know, they stay in the house and they put us to sleep and, and, and tell us, you know, stories. So I just can't imagine. I imagine Herod the Great, you know, Agrippa says, hey, Grandpa, can you tell me a story so I can fall asleep? And he comes to him and says, sure I will. Do you know that... Uh, just today, I ordered the killing of a hundred infants. Oh, wow, I want to be just like you. <laughs> but that's not all. You know, Antipas comes too and says, hey, you know, a few years later, oh, I just, I just beheaded John the Baptist. And, and that is the type of, he grew up in, in this dynasty, and that was his heart, and that was his, his rule as well. The text says that, Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And the text is referring here to James the Apostle, the, son, the, bro, the brother of John and son of Zebedee. Um, remember that John and, and James had asked Jesus uh, if they could sit one at the right side and one at the left side in, in his glory. And Jesus told them, you know, this is not, about, this is not for me to do. This is a... Uh, my father, but what he told them in Matthew 10, in Mark 10, is that they were going to participate in his, uh, in his sufferings. He told them that they were going to drink his cup and share his baptism. And this is, uh, at this moment, we see that uh, that, that um, prophecy became true, came true in James. Um, scholars think that he was probably uh, beheaded because uh, the Talmud had a, a law that said that if you were an apostate, uh, you were to be beheaded. 
So, so James becomes the first, the first of the uh, apostles to be martyred. Uh, verse 3 says, And when he saw, that is Herod, uh, that he pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Um, so Herod was a politician, and, and uh, he saw that oh, he had done, you know, that, that the Jews were happy. So he actually, he, was, he had Jewish blood in him, and sometimes he kept the law, but when he was with the Romans, he acted just like a playboy. So it was just, uh, you know, trying to, to gain uh, the favor of, of people, the favor of the, of the Jewish people. Now, we're not sure if, if uh, you know, the people who were, um, who were pleased, with, if, if it was the, the people in general, or if, but it was most likely probably the Sanhedrin and the Jewish council we had, uh, who had arrested uh, John and Peter back in Acts 5. So Peter goes after, after I'm sorry, so uh, Herod goes after Peter, the chief apostle of the time. Uh, the one who we learned last week, uh, as Pastor Brandon preached, uh, that God used to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But what was Herod's um, motivation? Why did he go after James? Uh, we think that uh, he probably went after, after James because as a politician, he wanted to keep the, the Roman peace. And in order to do that, he wanted, to, uh, he wanted to, kill, to put down all minority groups uh, that threatened that peace. And he knew that at that time the Jews hated, uh, they hated the Christians, and, uh, and he was trying to earn and gain their, their favor. So and he probably was familiar also with Jesus because, you know, like, as I told you before, his relatives were familiar with him. They had put him to death. The passage says in verse 3 that all this took place during the, uh, the feast of the days of unleavened bread. This is one of, of three feasts that God commanded the Israelites to observe in Exodus 12. The Israelites were prohibited from, um, from um, eating any leavened bread for seven days. Now, this feast was so closely related to, uh, so closely associated with the Passover that event, the two of them uh, eventually became like one feast with two different movements. So you had the Passover and then seven days of the uh, Feast of Unleavened Breads back to back. Uh, so for Israel, this was supposed to be a time of joy, a time of celebration to, to Yahweh because he had delivered them from bondage. He had delivered their ancestors from bondage. It was, the time to, it was the time to celebrate the exodus and uh, all the miracles that God performed to get the Israelites under the bondage of Herod. I'm sorry, of, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So uh, uh, there were no trials or sentences, sentencing was permitted uh, during these festivals. And that is the reason why um, Herod did not kill Pil did not kill Peter right away. Instead, he throws him in prison uh, and is ready to kill him after the feast. 
Verse 4 says, And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads, uh, to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Now, Herod must have known that Peter had a reputation as, a, as an escape artist. He had to. Back in Acts 5, the high priests and the Sadducees had arrested the uh, apostles and put them in, pri in public prison. Uh, we read, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. So Herod will not take any chances. He will not allow Peter to escape or to humiliate him. In a culture of honor and shame, he will not be humiliated by an educated fisherman turned preacher. So what was his plan? How was he going to prevent uh, Peter's escape? So Herod came up with the first maximum security prison. Peter is guarded by a detachment, guarded by four detachments of four soldiers. Each detachment rotating, probably every six hours. Uh, they're staying fresh, they're staying alert. Peter is going nowhere, according to Herod. Moreover, verse 6 says that, that Peter was chained uh, to two soldiers while others were outside the door. So there's no escape for, for Peter. Uh, usually one, you know, they change a prisoner to one person, but he's like, no, I'm, I'm taking care of this. So Herod is thinking to himself, I got this. Uh, Peter had his mind, there's no way that he's going to escape. But in reality, he's not just fighting Peter in the, in the uh, Christian church. Uh, he doesn't know that he's going against the king of kings and the lord of lords. Like Pharaoh, a long time ago, he was picking on the wrong God. He doesn't realize that to persecute Peter is to persecute the church, and to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus, and you don't want to do that. He should have had a talk with Paul, probably. So, so, so the stage is set up. Okay, you know, Peter, I mean, uh, uh, Herod has his maximum security prison. Uh, Peter is not supposed to go anywhere. What's going to happen? So we find in verses 6 to 19 that we, we find a miraculous deliverance. Later did the church know that as they were pouring out their hearts to God, excuse me, Excuse me for a second. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. We can't not forget this, this verse. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was being made to God by the church. One of the key verses. Uh, Peter's situation was extremely dangerous. From a human standpoint, you know, he was as good as dead. But the church wasn't given up. Um, no doubt... Uh, they remember Peter's prior, the apostles' escapes, and they knew that God had done it before, and, they, and he could do it again. Uh, so they prayed. They prayed intense, fervent, continuous prayer for Peter's deliverance. Uh, 
Just try to imagine the intensity and the purpose and the focus that the church uh, had as they were trying to pray for Peter. They had already lost one leader in James, and now uh, the, the main apostle, the, the leadership, uh, was in danger of dying again. So now the stage is set for a miraculous deliverance. Verses 6 to 19. So little did, did the church know that when they were praying and seeking God's face in behalf of Peter, that at that very moment, God was acting. He was orchestrating um, a deliverance. So verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the, in the cell. I find this intriguing that, um, you know, if we were any other person, probably they would, have, they would have been wide awake. I mean, Peter knows what's going on. He knows that the the, the time is coming. Uh, the next morning, you know, the, the, the um, Feast of Unleavened Bread is going to end, and uh, Herod is going to come after him. He knows he's going to be executed. Maybe he was tired. I mean, it was a long night. He was stressed. But remember that Peter was not the same person that we see in the Gospels. Uh, he had been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is more likely that Peter was just trusting in God, you know, that he knew that God had rescued him before and that he could do it again. But at the same time, he's like, God, it's up to you, and, and if you rescue me, fine. Otherwise, uh, you're taking me to heaven, you know. I'm your son. So, and, and this is a lesson for me, and I hope for you also, that uh, in our greater struggles, in, in our you know, sometimes we, we experience loss and disappointment and pain and suffering, but we can, you know, we can stay firm in God. We don't have to lose sleep. Uh, our God is a powerful, good, and gracious God, so we can trust Him. Now, notice how, um, how, how uh, Luke presents this story. Um, it is all God's doing, and he makes sure of that. Uh, Peter is very passive. He's receiving commands and, 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 and just following them. Uh, he's no MacGyver here. He's not, you know, coming up with something special to get out of prison. So God sends an angel. Uh, you know, it shines, and miraculously, they don't even wake up. But the, God is going to use the angel to, to get him out of there. Uh, so Peter is not in charge. On the contrary... Um, the angel is in charge here. So, you know, so he wakes up Peter. Peter, wake up. He says, get up quickly. Um, in that very moment, his chains fell off his hands. Uh, he wasn't greasy or, or sweaty. This is a miracle, right? Of course, this is not an accident. It wasn't anything that Peter did. God is at work through the angel. The angel continues. Dress yourself and put on your sandals. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter did so. 
And at this very moment, uh, P Peter started to think, oh, is this a vision? Because as we know in, in Acts 10, God had given him uh, three visions there before he, he went to, uh, to, to Cornelius' house. So he's confused, you know, he's not completely awake. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went, and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. So the angel came, did the work that God had told him to do, and left. And Peter is left on the street like, okay, now what? What's going on? So it took him time to process, you know, what had happened. And then we read in, in, in verse 11, these are Peter's words. Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So this is like a mini exodus for Peter. Now we might ask ourselves, you know, why did God permit that um, Herod would kill James and not Peter? Uh, and the, test, the, the, um, the passage doesn't address that directly. But we know something. It wasn't because Peter was better than James. Um, it wasn't because God owed anything to him, but because of his grace and because he wanted to show Herod that he wasn't in charge. God is in charge. Uh, the gospel, nothing can hinder the gospel. Uh, the gospel will continue to advance. Uh, the gospel, the central message of Christianity, that Jesus was born, he died, and he rose again, and that his death was for, for our sins, that we might receive forgiveness and new life in relationship to God, now and forever, through faith alone. This forgiveness is available to all who repent. You just have to turn to Jesus in faith. So Peter is on the run. God has rescued him. So he heads over to the house of Mary, verse 12. When he realized this, that he had been delivered, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark where many were gathered together and praying. So he heads over to where the, uh, the brothers are praying. This is Mark, you know, who we think wrote the gospel according to Mark and who will have a part in the next chapters. Verse 13, when he knocked on the door, the, gate, uh, the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So just picture this, right? It's kind of comical. Uh, Peter is being, you know, he, he just escaped. He, he, they're looking for him, and he's outside the door. This girl hears him, and she's so happy that he takes off in the other direction. And I just think about my wife some days, you know. <laughs> in the mornings, you know, she usually leaves for work before me. 
and she tells me, honey, can you, can you leave some meat out? And if I get home first, I'll start cooking. Otherwise, you can do it. She tells me once, twice, three times. And I'm like, sure, I'll take care of it. <laughs> and then she, uh, she, texts, she texts me at, at work, uh, did you take the meat out? And I go, uh, no, I forgot. <laughs> and then she, uh, she sends me an emoji. So, so you can just imagine Paul, he's like, Rhoda, God help me. You know, so Rhoda goes back in and she, she interrupts the prayer meeting, right? And, she's, uh, and they're like, no, oh, Peter is here. No, 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 he's not. You probably didn't have enough sleep. We've been here all night. It's probably his angel, you know, they say. Um, so if some Jewish thought that uh, every person had a... a, a, a um, an angel who protected them, but if, if that angel appeared, that person was dead. So eventually, you know, they, they, he continues to knock, verse 16, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning, so they're, oh, Peter, you know, they're so happy. So Peter, you know, tells them, okay, quiet down. Peter, uh, he motioning to them, uh, with his hands to be silent, he described to them, to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. So Peter knows that the church is being persecuted, right? They need encouragement. So instead of heading over somewhere, he goes, he goes to uh, Mary's home, and, she's, and he's encouraging the church. And not only that group, I mean, probably the entire church was, was praying for him, uh, but he tells them, he instructs them, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And this is uh, James, the brother of Jesus, who at that time was one of the leaders in, uh, in the Jerusalem church. And then he, uh, you know, then he departed and went to another place. We are not told where. So the church is um, praying and asking God to deliver Peter. And he answers, I guess, too quickly. Um, they can't handle the truth, you know. Uh, this should resonate with us. It definitely resonates with me when I'm praying for someone or for myself or my family, and God responds in the exact way that I asked. And I'm like, oh, wow, is this from God? And yes, it is from God. He answers prayers. Uh, Derek Thomas uh, remarks in, this com in his commentary on the books of Acts, you have to smile uh, a little at this incident. The answer to the prayers was standing outside the front door, but they were not ready to believe that God could answer the prayers so dramatically and so quickly. It would be easy to be critical denouncing these men and women for their lack of faith. For, for such, such indeed was the case. Uh, we are accustomed to prayers that never seem to be answered, at least not in the ways that we expect. We hold on to such spiritual formulas as sometimes God answers by saying no. But sudden answers like this one uh, catches us off guard. We feel as, as if we feel as though God has not tested us sufficiently. Uh, what fickle 
creatures we are. The Lord of glory can do great and unexpected things for us, for those who are come before him. In the morning, um, Herod is looking for, for Peter, you know. He comes sword in hand, but Peter is nowhere to be found. Um, so he, uh, you know, he, he, he tells them, start looking for him or you're in trouble because at that time, uh, if, a soldier, if a Roman soldier lo- uh, lost a, um, a prisoner, they were going to pay with their lives. And Herod is not happy. Um, and he's not merciful. So they end up paying with their lives. Um, after this, Herod ends up going to um, Caesarea, which was a coastal city under his dominion. Uh, he thinks that God is done with him. But we will see that that's not the case. God is not done with him. He couldn't be any more wrong. The next time we read about him, uh, we learn that he's angry to the cities of Tyre and Sidon, and that he has cut their food supply for some unspecified reason that Luke doesn't give us. So in verses 20 to 23, we see the reward of those who will try to hinder the advance of the gospel. Verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So Tyre and Sidon were free, self-governing cities, but for, for, what, for some reason they were dependent uh, eco- economically, they were economically dependent on Judea for grain. Uh, so the representative from these two cities uh, asked Blastus, you know, uh, Herod's assistant, uh, to intercede for them, and they asked for peace. In other words, you know, they were hungry, and so they had to kiss up to, to Herod. And that's what he wanted. That's what he liked. Verse 23, on an, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian who was not a, a, a Christian, he wrote extensively about this uh, event. He said that this event took place on a day when games were offered in honor of Caesar. So um, Herod spoke on the second day. Herod orchestrated um, a, a, a celebration addressed to the... Excuse me. Herod orchestrated a celebration to address the delegates and to receive his praise. Okay? That's what he wanted. This is how Josephus described the event. Clad in a garment woven completely of silver so that his texture was indeed wondrous, he entered the theater at daybreak. There, the silver, illuminated by the touch of the first rays of the sun, was wondrously radiant, and by its glitter, inspired fear and awe in those who who gazed intently upon it. Isn't that what God requires and what God deserves? Awe and fear from his creation? But Herod wants it for himself. 
And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. He liked that. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Herod died just a few days after this incident. Pride and arrogance were his downfall. Those who oppose the gospel, those who oppose God and want to hinder his gospel will be judged. Now think about the beginning of this chapter where we learn the situation, you know, the, the context. We learn that, that the church is being persecuted. James is dead, one of the apostles. The lead apostle, Peter, is in jail, surrounded by guards, a grim situation. The Jewish, are, the Jewish leadership is rejoicing. And Herod has the power and the authority of the Roman Empire to try to stop the advance of the gospel. But the church was praying. There was a praying church. The train ain't stopping. The gospel continues to advance even today. Sinners are saved. Marriages are restored. Prodigal children return to the Lord and to the church. And we gather week by week to worship the Lord. Relationships are, that are fractured, God will heal them. The gospel continues to move and to advance. And sometimes, you know, because we'll, we live in such an arid area, such an arid place, uh, New England, uh, we, don't, we think that the gospel is not advancing. But remember, God is not done with New England. God is not done with us. So let's keep that in mind. Those who opposed God were judged. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And it continues to increase and multiply even today. So how does this passage apply to us, the church in America? Because clearly we are not being persecuted, right? There are millions of brothers and sisters around the globe um, who are under grim situations. They are being persecuted. If someone finds out that they are Christians, they could lose their lives. Uh, not us. Uh, you know, when we share the gospel, we might be ridiculed. Oh, you're crazy. That's, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Or they might call us intolerant. That's about it. Uh, you might get, we might get some pushback. But remember, uh, you know, we talked about Peter. Listen to what he wrote in 1 Peter 5.8. We, we have a uh, common enemy. He wrote this about our enemy, about the adversary. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. God wants to devour you. Excuse me. Satan wants to devour you. 
Let's get that right. <laughs> he wants to devour your marriage. He wants to devour your children. He wants to devour uh, your community, your relationships at work, your church. Um, he is relentless, okay? But fear not. Fear not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Jesus has overcome. Jesus has defeated Satan, and his days are numbered. So if God's word will continue to multiply despite greater opposition against God and his gospel, what are we to do? What is our job? Yeah. We need to speak the word, right? We need to proclaim it, share it with others. But what does the church do in this passage? The church prays. They, they lift up uh, their request before God, knowing that he's wise enough to answer according to his sovereignty and his will. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world. Let me repeat that. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world. When the Jerusalem church was uh, under intense persecution and duress, when their leaders, one of the leaders had already been uh, executed and the other one was in prison, what did they do? Did they decide to take arms? Did they decide to, to implore, you know, Herod, let them go? They prayed. They sought the Lord in prayer. Verse 5 says, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church realized that the best thing that they could do for Peter and for the gospel was to pray. But listen to the type of prayer that they made, that they lifted up. It was earnest prayer. The word means intense, fervent prayer. It, its meaning comes from the medical term uh, that means to stretch out a muscle to its limit. It means to pray with agony. Uh, this word is used of Jesus when he prayed in the garden uh, just before his arrest in Luke 22. Um, he was there with his disciples in the Mount of Olives. And, and this is what verse 44 says. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The Jerusalem church was giving itself to God in prayer, earnest prayer. And so should we. So should we. Maybe some of you are familiar with this type of prayer. Um, but for the rest of us, what prevents us from praying to God earnestly, intensely, like we mean it? Sometimes I feel like my prayers don't go beyond the, the ceiling, that I lack faith. But notice as well that God does not expect our prayer to be perfect. The church prays, prayed that God would deliver Peter from certain death, and when, get, when God answers and Peter knocks on the door, they don't believe. 
They don't believe. When Andrea was pregnant with, uh, with the girls, with Allison and Adriana, our twins, she had to have an ultrasound very early in the pregnancy. And um, that's how we found out, you know, that, that the pregnancy was for twins. And um, the, the ultrasound tech couldn't find a membrane that was, that, that was supposed to be there and that was supposed to separate the sacs so that each baby was in their own sack. And we were told, you know, we don't see this membrane. If it doesn't exist, it's very dangerous because they could wrap around each other, you know, and, and cut the circulation and, and die. So they, told, they said, okay, let, let's wait a few more weeks. Let's wait four weeks, I think they said, and, and we're going to do another ultrasound and hope that it's there. So Andrea and I, you know, we were excited. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm counting, okay, how many more hours am I going to have to work now to pay for all those diapers? <laughs> but we went home, and we prayed, and we asked uh, many friends to join us in prayer. And when the time came to, uh, to, 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 to have the second ultrasound, thank God the membrane was there. Now, I don't know if it was there before and they just couldn't see it, or if God put it there, but by God's grace, you know, we found that membrane. They found it. And I wasn't 100% sure, you know, as I was praying, I can't say, oh, the, when we go back, that membrane is going to be there. No, I wasn't. Uh, my faith wasn't perfect, Andres' faith wasn't perfect, or anyone's, but we trusted that God would do, uh, you know, what he thought was right. He's, he's, he's uh, you know, he's, he's God. He's God, right? So what practical steps can we take um, because of, you know, because of this passage? Uh, there are several ways that we can take um, where we can pray corporately here at Westgate. You know, Lynn Jarrett hosts a prayer shawl on Tuesdays at 9.30 a.m. Every Sunday mornings, we have some brothers and sisters here in the, um, in the um, parlor praying. Um, Brandon just announced earlier that the pastoral succession team is meeting at 12.10 p.m. after each service on the third floor. Uh, that's another opportunity. Every last Sunday of the month, uh, we gather to pray for the mission the mission of the church. And the purpose of this meeting is to uh, encourage gospel renewal in New England. And we need that. So I encourage all of you and myself also to attend some of these gatherings and to take time also to pray for the persecuted church throughout the world, right? Uh, prayer is it's effective. So let's pray for our brothers and sisters that we don't even know, but we're going to spend time, you know, we're going to spend eternity with them. Another thing that we can do is one of the most effective things is to develop a, uh, a vibrant um, prayer life. And, you know, I understand that we are really busy. Uh, we, we, you know, we're a busy community. But we have to make prayer a priority. Um, and one of the ways that we can do that is by, by praying the Bible, you know, by, by praying the Psalms back to God, and Don, Don Whitney wrote this book called Pray the Bible. Pray in the Bible. It's a small little book, 100 pages, or if you get it in audio, 
it's only a two-hour, um, it takes two hours to, re to listen to. And it, it just, it has transformed the lives of many people. It has transformed the way that I pray for sure. And, and he says that one of the benefits of his book is that sometimes we, we tend to pray the same thing about the same thing, okay? And if that's all you're doing, praise the Lord. You're coming before the Lord. But we also need, you know, to, to, uh, to improve our, our prayer. You know, we need to uh, get encouraged and, and pray different things that we don't normally would as he takes you through different genres in, in the Bible, and it's mostly the Psalms, uh, and teaches you how to pray to God. And it's been very beneficial for me. You know, Brian mentioned also the prayer chain earlier today. But this is uh, my encouragement for you, brothers and sisters. We will not grow in maturity unless we have a healthy prayer life. It's that, it's that important. It's that important. Uh, the, if you pray, God will honor. God will honor God. He will transform you. He will transform you. He will help you see him and see life in a different vein. So the gospel is unstoppable, an unstoppable train. We have seen that throughout, throughout the years, uh, there have been many challenges that the gospel has encountered. But none of them will triumph. People will continue to, uh, to try to uh, hinder the progress of the gospel. But it will not happen. It will not happen. And God uses us as we pray, as we seek his face. So let us do just that right now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we love you. We, uh, we, we are in awe because of your greatness, because of your mercy. Father, thank you for encouraging us with this passage to seek you and to know that, um, that nothing can stop your gospel. Father, help us, help us communicate this gospel to those around us that do not know you, Lord Jesus, and help us stand firm on this truth, Lord Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.